Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here. So many times we go through life and things just really don't seem to go our way. And there are even points and times in our lives where it just seems like all hope is gone. But I want to encourage you today, know that there is always hope. There's always something to hold on to. Grab hold and lean into your support system. Know that they are there and wanting the best for you. And if you don't feel like they want the best for you or they're not encouraging you, feel free to remove them from your circle of support and find people who have your best interest in mind and do not give up hope. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. As you may remember on one of our last podcasts, we talked a little bit about physician-assisted suicide, and there's a lot of controversial thoughts about what that really looks like and what that really means, not only for the person who has the terminal illness, but for the families uh, and friends of those people. Um and, and, you know, it's just a difficult topic to approach, and, and we all have different ideas and responsibilities when it comes to that. I have with me today J.J. Singleton, and J.J., I appreciate, first of all, you being here with us today. Honored to be here. So, J.J., where are you from? Tell us a little bit about, about your, your family background and dynamic. I'm from a small town about 20 minutes from uh, Asheville, North Carolina, in the mountains. What's the name of that town? Because I, I was in North Carolina for several years. Canton, North Carolina. We I, are famous I, for a paper mill. I know exactly where you're at. Yeah. yeah. That's born and raised here in a little community called Bethel, which is about a few miles away from Canton. So I uh, grew up in a town with probably about 750 people. And Asheville's the big city to me. Yeah. The hilly city, if I remember yep. correct. Yeah. Now, Asheville's where the Biltmore House is, right? It is. Yeah. Yes. These school field trips were spent at the Biltmore House. Yeah. Um, so do you have brothers, sisters? I have a one older sister, two younger brothers, a half-brother, and then a whole bunch of step-siblings. Yeah. So are you married? Have kids? I, I'm not. I'm single and no kids. I, I'm an uncle of six, though, so <laughs> those are pretty much my what I figure my kids will. Yeah. And, and how old are you? Again, I am a 34 now. I'll be 35 in two months. Okay. All right. I, I saw you on TikTok and you were talking about your diagnosis of cancer and how you you had colon cancer or have colon cancer and the treatments were going well. And then you found that that cancer had spread. Can you tell us a little bit about how you come to know that there was an issue and and what that diagnosis first was, how that, that came about. Yeah. In a 2015, I was uh, getting back into shape. I, I was a college athlete. I played college football at a small school for two years. And then I got hurt, too many concussions, kind of let my body go, 
was, you know, the typical early 20-something, just more into having fun than worrying about taking care of my body. So 2015, I started CrossFit, working out, diet, was uh, getting in shape, and I started feeling a throbbing in my abdomen. Typical 27-year-old, it's nothing. I don't need the doctor. I'm not wanting money took out of my paycheck for health insurance. I'm single. I, I don't need that. Well, I ignored it, and by the time uh, September or September 4th came around, you could see the uh, – tumor throbbing through my skin and my mom, I was turning gray and losing weight. So my mom made me go to the doctor and turns out I had a a mass in my colon, which was about 98% blocked. And as soon as they said it had a mass and it's most likely cancer, all the little dots I've been like symptoms I've been dealing with for the last months made sense. Mm -hmm. So within a week I had a colonoscopy diagnosed with cancer and was in surgery. And, and what, what emotion was that like knowing all of this was just transpiring so fast? Yeah, it was a lot of numbness and there, like I had my family around and they were the ones that were more asking questions. What's going on. I was just like pretty much living in a daze at that point. I was like, I'm 27. At that point I thought colon cancer was the, my grandpa's cancer. Like, old man cancer. I was like, nobody my age gets colon cancer. Sure. It's just a haze kind of going through those weeks when I look back on it now. Yeah. And and you mentioned, you know, your family was there that, that asked a lot of questions. How would that have been like, had you not had that support system? I had no clue how I would have made it through. Like I've been growing in the colon cancer community. There's people I meet that don't have that support. And I, it just blows my mind because I was like, I relied on them so much. They took me to doctor appointments when I couldn't drive. They gave me a place to stay when I needed, you know, because I was living with uh, one of my best friends and my younger brother who were in their early 20s and not not the best age to have somebody going through chemo and cancer living in there. So they gave me a place to stay and they just were there doing everything for me. So yeah. at that point, my mental health was not good. So them being there to get me through that was everything. Of course, being in oncology during that period of time, was there ever a mental health counselor that worked specifically in oncology that you had access to? I had access to one, but at that point, the typical, you know, 27-year-old guy raised up was not like mental health. I was like, nope, I can handle it all. I do not want to talk about it. And it took me years before I was able to see a therapist and talk about it and I, that is one thing like I try now to break that stigma because it, it about ended my, I mean, it, it was rough going there for a while. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people, they, they get this idea and there is the stigma that, uh, when you see a mental health counselor, it's because there's something wrong with you. You know, you're, you're not strong enough. You're not, and, and, you know, those things. And, you know, I really try to, to emphasize that your mental health is your physical health you know, we wouldn't deny that we had high blood pressure, you know, it's there in front of us. And, and so when it comes to mental health, a lot of times we want to go into denial about, is this really something wrong with me? You know, is it my environment and whatever it is, it's okay to seek mental health treatment. 100%. It's that mental health, it affects all the other parts of the life, physical health, emotional, everything. Absolutely. So, from then you, you were, had a, had a scope, you were diagnosed with cancer, you had surgery. What was that first surgery like? 
it was a massive surgery. The tumor, it, I was kind of lucky. It was in a spot where I did not have to have an ostomy bag or anything. They were able to reconnect it, but my body did not recover well. So I ended up spending 17 days in the hospital, have to have an extra emergency surgery. But they ended up removing 80% of my colon and 36 inches of my small intestine mm. because the tumor was so big. But I didn't have any cancer in my lymph nodes at that time. So there was bright spots. Sure. So at this point, having that much of your, your colon, your bowel, the small intestine removed, do you have an ostomy bag now? I do not. They were able to reconnect it, and it's enough to where I get the nutrients I need. I just have to uh, eat a lot more smaller meals and regular because everything goes through me so much quicker. And I have to plan my days around that a lot more than people with normal people. Sure. Yeah. My wife had ulcerative colitis. So she, from about four inches of her small intestine down is all false. Uh, so she has a J pouch, which uh, I'm sure is probably what you have. And like you said, when she's got to go to the bathroom, there's none of this. Okay. The next exit we can stop you. She's got to go. Yeah. And so that, that brings a whole new dynamic into your life of having literally when you say planning, you literally have to plan and know what to eat or what not to eat and making sure that there's a bathroom close by. Yeah, they're like I used to just love, you know, being random, like waking up, me and a friend some friends wanted to go on a trip, you could go. But now I'm like, I can't be in the car that much because I did not plan for it and I ate these foods yesterday and I was like, This will be a ten minute every ten minutes we're pulling off on the side of the road. Yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what type of uh, therapy as far as oncology wise uh, were you doing at that point to try to seek remission? Since I was so young, they I went down to the Duke Cancer Center and they thought it was a good idea to just do the uh, baseline, what most people do at colon cancer. It was a chemo called Folfox, 12 rounds of it. And they thought since they were able to remove the tumor, have clear margins, they were like, this should be good, clear up any random cells. And, you know, after that, we move on, hopefully NED and to remission. So their thought process, if I'm understanding correctly, was we got all that we could see of cancer out. So now you're going to do these 12 rounds of chemo just as a catch-all and in case we miss something, right? Yeah. Okay. So after those 12 rounds of chemo, uh, what happened? Uh, I made it about six weeks and I had my follow-up colonoscopy, went in, it was clean. So I was happy. That night I woke up in the middle of the night with that throbbing, same throbbing in my abdomen again. So this time I was at the doctor about 6.15 in the morning waiting on them to get there. It was like, something's not right. Didn't know if it was like scar tissue breaking up from my surgeries or whatever. That day went, had another scan. A few days later, it came back and showed there was a mass in my abdominal wall. So next we went, biopsy, more scans, visit to Duke, everything. And it turns out the cancer had spread to my abdominal wall. And now this time it had spread into lymph nodes throughout my body. And so when you say it was in your abdominal wall, that of course means it metastasized or it moved there, but was it a tumor? Was it just throughout the abdominal wall? 
there was a mass. There's one major like mass in my abdominal wall, and then there's other spots that on a PET scan lit up. So there was other cells all throughout the abdominal wall, but there was one big mass, kind of, and it was right around where the uh, stomach emptied into the intestines throughout that area of the abdominal wall. Yeah, and so with it being throughout, it's not like you can take out your abdomen. You know, you yeah, you no. kind of have to have that. Um, yeah, there, there's no radiation because in the abdominal wall, the cancer, it just moves. It's I've never had like the, other than the first colon cancer, I've never had it in a solid like organ where they could just go in and cut it out. It's just a fluid. Right. So at that point, I guess the diagnosis became terminal. Terminal and incurable because of it being uh, resistant to the mainline chemo. Okay. So what was the, what was the plan there at that point? Was it palliative care to just try to keep you comfortable or did they continue with treatments? Yeah, we decided that we wanted to see if other chemos that acted a little different would work because it was spread so much and I, I wasn't ready to die yet. So we started down the list of uh, different chemos and went to something called full theory. Then I combined the other two with that. The next one after that failed. And I can't remember the last one that I tried names. The medical people like to have like 15 syllable words for these drugs. Yeah, but Absolutely. That's why in mental health, we have so many acronyms, Yeah, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure they do in oncology as well. So are you currently on chemotherapy? I am on a uh, immunotherapy based drug because all the other chemos failed and I started a clinical trial, which was this immunotherapy drug. But as I go, spots pop up and go away and they will add a certain like side chemo drug to me that I'll be on for four or six months at a time until the net scan shows improvement. And then I can get off of it until something else pops up. Right. So uh, for the benefit of the listeners, chemotherapy targets the actual tumor or cancer to try to eradicate it. Immunotherapy is trying to trick your brain into getting rid of it or, or getting an autoimmune response to not allow it to, to grow. Is that, is that a good understanding? Yeah. The immunotherapy I'm on, everybody has these uh, things called T cells, mm -hmm. but your immune system blocks them from attacking because they could attack anything in your body, your organs or anything. This drug takes that block away and it allows them to attack the cancer. So my body pretty much thinks I'm like really, really sick 24 seven every day. So it's constantly attacking the cancer to keep it from spreading. And so how does that affect your everyday life as far as energy ability to do the things that you want to do? It is a lot different from the chemo because the chemo was like a, all of a sudden, all at one time punch. This has been, I've been on it for over five years now. And it's kind of steadily grown. Like the fatigue every couple months, I'll be like, I'm not able to do what I was able to do a few months ago. So I have to adjust lifestyle like that. I have horrible uh, mouth sores. That is one of the big side effects from this that affect me worse than most people. So I have like the cracked lips, sores all down through my throat. And then just the uh, appetite, taste of food, pretty much eating is my least favorite thing to do right now. Yeah. But so you probably have what they call lycus pleurus in your mouth. The yeah. They look like kind of like canker sores or blisters, but that's not what it is. 
Um, yeah, and the oral mucitis. I can't bring up for them every year on that day, awareness day. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that fissured tongue, you know, like at the dentist when they do the little water to the air to dry off your gums, mine will start bleeding when they do that. Yeah, which is a result of the immunotherapy. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of got to weigh the yacht to be like, a, have a very, uh, sensitive mouth and deal with all those, but it's keeping me alive. So yeah, I can. Yeah. So what is eating like? Do you have to make sure you eat soft foods? I do. And then I just found out a few weeks ago that through all my chemo and stuff, my body's developed the uh, celiac disease, so mm. allergic to gluten. So now I'm trying to learn on new foods that I can eat, but I'll, I'll find one food that tastes good and don't upset my stomach and I pretty much eat it all the time until it changes. Yeah. So right now it's a lot of oatmeal. Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm, can taste good and it don't make me sick. So, and there's several different flavors. So yeah, there, the, yeah. And then I can add some like fruit, like the bananas to get the nutrients and stuff, add a little protein, like powder to help, you know, try to keep my weight up. So it, it's one of the better foods that I've enjoyed here. Yeah. And, and so with, without having a, a bowel or colon, that's where you get your iron from. Yes. And iron is such a major thing, not with just in our mental health, but in our bodies to produce blood. So how do you, how are you getting that iron intake? I, uh, I've actually had quite a few iron infusions, uh, Right now, it's a. I had my last one in March. I had a like one of the big, like ten hour iron infusions. At certain times, if it's not so low, they'll do the quicker ones where it's like an hour or two. But this was like the double bag of. It looked like rust going into my body, mm-hmm. so, and it smells terrible. Yeah, and like I tell people, like you have that, you taste blood, and you have that iron taste in your mouth. Times that by about a thousand, and that's what I had for weeks after that. Yeah. And so, you know, another thing that directly relating to mental health is that 95% of your serotonin is produced and stored in your large intestine, um, which is where, ironically, we get the term to trust your gut. Yeah. Um, And so I could only assume that maybe you are on some type of mental health drug to regulate serotonin. Uh, Yeah, I'm on quite a few different ones, a lot to regulate, like the uh, anxiety, the like ups and downs, like kind of just level me out. Yeah. I never had anxiety before all of this. And now like, if I don't take the medicine and go to my therapist and stuff, it, I can get d- down in some pretty dark holes. And- mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we know that serotonin uh, is used to treat depression, uh, obsessive compulsive disorders, um, panic attacks, post-traumatic stress which i can only assume you have that you know due to there's times i wake up in the middle of the night and i can still feel like the tubes coming out of me from my hospital stays and smell that hospital smell and look over in the bed looks like i dropped a cup of water in there because i was sweating so much Mm -hmm. and so you mentioned earlier that you'll go a period of time and then you'll say okay i'm not I'm not able to do what I used to do five or six months. Yeah. When you adjust things, does that make it better? Or do you just have to come to the, the realization that I'm not going to be able to do those things? 
throughout the years, I've accepted coming to that realization where, all right, it don't make it better. This is just my new life until it changes again. Like earlier, I wanted to, you know, change it to make it better to still get all the same satisfaction and gratification from life. But throughout, you know, a lot of uh, failures and stuff to do that, realizing that my life is going to change every time that happens. And I just physically and mentally can't do what I used to. So it's been, it's been a journey to accept that. And most days I do some days I don't. So it's just a, kind of a lot of fluid, like acceptance. And so how do you process that, that change that, okay, this is going to be different now? Uh, right now it is a, uh, quite a few uh, sessions with my therapist, just talking through everything. And here lately, it, it, a lot of it goes back. It's not necessarily that I have to process my life changes. So it's processing all the results because of that. Like, me seeing other people my age doing all this and not getting depressed and realizing that even though my life's changed and different, I'm still accomplishing things in my own realm, not comparing and not contrasting so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's important for us to do even outside of a diagnosis that, that we understand that, Hey, we should not compare ourselves to others um, because we, we don't know what, what they're dealing with in their life. And, and even more so now with social media and stuff, because a lot of times you only see the highlights of people's lives and not what they go through on the normal daily basis. Sure. So through all of this, have you ever gotten to a point of where you were suicidal? Yes. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, it was, the uh, the first time was right at, the end of 2016, like all my treatments had failed. I was waiting to get on the clinical trial and I was just like, I was in such pain. My day, my day consisted of laying on the heat pad, taking as hot a shower as I could to like get the pain from my abdomen and back and taking the pain medicine I was given just to be able to sleep for 30 minutes until it woke me up. And I was just like, this life is not worth it. Like it, I literally was like, I'm working way too hard for, no joy, no satisfaction. So there was a time where I, I mean, it almost got to where I was like, I'm about to, you know, just write that note and tell everybody this is why I did it. Yeah. And so what kept you from doing that? Uh, luckily, I, I got a phone call from, at that point, I wasn't very open with my story, but I, I met a guy online and he was going through the exact same stuff. And me and he, he called me at the night where I was probably at my lowest and we had like a four hour conversation, nothing to do about that. Not much even to do about cancer, but it just got me through that night. And then the next day I actually ended up going to the hospital where I spent the next month, but I started the clinical trial. So it just, it was meant to be where it postponed what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And then events happened to where life changed. Yeah. So what is your, what is your prognosis now as far as life expectancy? Uh, it's kind of up in the air, like the drug that I'm on, as long as it keeps working, they said I could, you know, they don't know how long I could live. So pretty much I live, you know, about three to four months stretches at a time. Cause that's when I get my scans. Mm -hmm. 
because you never know that one scan, it can be like oh, the cancer's back, treatments quit working, and we don't know if one's going to start working. So I don't really have a long outlook, but I hope to. So just keep every four four month increments. Yeah. And so, you know, when we, when we think about terminal illness, we begin to think about legacy mm-hmm. and, and what the world is going to remember us for when we're not here any longer. What kind of things are you doing to try to build that legacy? Here in the last two years, I really got into advocacy and my path is not into like the discussing treatment plans with people and stuff. It's about like the mental health and the acceptance of what this life is and to help people deal with that part of it. So hopefully my legacy is just somebody that helps break the stigma around talking about colon cancer. People don't like talking about your colon. They'll have it. Yeah. And then especially like with mental health. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know so many people, especially men that are like, I'm not going to go to go get a colonoscopy Yeah, or I'm not going to go get a prostate exam. You know, that, that that's not for me. And even my dad, my, my, my grandfather died uh, of complications due to prostate cancer. And my dad's like, no, I'm not getting that done. I'm, you know, why? And he said, well, if I'm going to die from it, I'd rather it just happen than have to go through all the, and I'm going, that, that makes no logical sense at all. I've had uncles, brothers, they don't want to get the colonoscopy and stuff. And I'm like, Y'all just come and sit with me during a chemo treatment or come and sit at my house after a chemo treatment and see what you will be going through. And and then I just tell them that like a colonoscopy, it's you get a day and a half off work and they give you some really cool drugs that make you feel really good for a while. Yeah. It's like it. the worst part about a colonoscopy is the prep. Yes. Yeah. But then after you do that, the next meal after, you know, you expel all the gas and your stomach starts feeling better is one of the better meals that you'll ever eat because you're completely cleansed. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of changing the subject here, we had a gentleman on our on our podcast here uh, about a month ago who has a terminal diagnosis, an autoimmune disease, and he wants to have medically assisted suicide like that's his goal but in his state it's not allowed Uh, living with a terminal illness how do you feel about physician assisted suicide it it is a very complicated subject that i think there can be no baseline like broad spectrum like law or decision because it's so individually specific you got to take into account like what you're going through, the prognosis, the mental health of the patient. But there is times like where, you know, they tell you like if that this clinical trial wouldn't have worked, I'd have went through months of hell going through like severe pain or I'd just been like a zombie because I'd had to have so much pain medication. And I don't want to live like that. Like if there's no hope or nothing. And I know people will always be like, there's always hope. And I understand that because I was on my last option that did work. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there comes a point in time where there's only so much that you mentally and physically can handle. And, and that's why it's so important to be so open yeah. and honest about the struggles that you're dealing with and going through. Yeah. And like I said, like people like that, that are at that point and have to deal with so much like physical pain is one thing and everybody can deal with a different amount of pain. But when it's constant and growing every day, 
every day seems like a year in like length because the pain never quits. You, you never have relief and it can do some really crazy things to your mind. Yeah. Uh, chronic pain is, is a very common cause of depression. And a lot of times people get into this depression and they think, well, I'm sleeping more. I don't feel good. It must be from the pain medication. And they just look past the mental health aspect until they're to a point of there's a point of no return. Yeah. Or they continue to take pain medicine to the point of where they take too much and an overdose. Yeah. Being someone living with this terminal illness, what would you say to others that may be facing this prognosis? Uh, don't take it all on yourself. Be open with it. And I know that is a complicated subject because everybody's at a different stage of acceptance of how they are mentally. But don't be afraid to go and talk to a professional or talk to somebody, anybody, even, even if it's expressing anger, sadness, just get those emotions out to where that can clear up your mind a little bit to talk about the underlying and main issues. Because the more you push those down and ignore them, the more complicated they are when they do eventually explode. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's so important to go ahead and take that mental health yes. availability that, that you, you accept that for what it is. Definitely. Well, JJ, thank you for being here with us today on Doc Talks. And I, I know this is not an easy topic to talk about. So I, I appreciate your willingness to do that today. Uh, I appreciate y'all having me and, Sometimes the, the not easy topics are the most important that we need to, and I'm comfortable talking about it, so I'm going to keep doing it, even though it does bring up a lot of emotions. Yeah, yeah, it does. So where could our followers or listeners find you at if they wanted to hear more about your story? They can search me on Facebook, JJ Singleton. I'm on the TikTok I can't even remember my user account name there, but uh, Instagram is where I do a lot of like reels and posts and it is JJ5145 on Instagram. That's, that's where I post most of my story and like my cancer journey. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to include all of those links in the description of this podcast so our, our listeners can, can find you. And, um, I, I just want to tell you that, that your story is one of hope well, Thank you. to thank not you. give up and, uh, you're a strong man. You're a strong man and just, just keep pushing forward. Always. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Doc Talks today. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media links are there. Also, you can call in or text us at 910-777-7239. That's 910-777-7239. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. You can check out all of our podcasts there at befranknetwork.com. Thank you so much for listening today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Goodbye.